Welcome to Free Advice. I'm your host, Zach Foster. And in this special episode of Seamside, I am joined by a guest expert and we answer your questions on quilting and the creative life. Remember though, just because it's free doesn't mean it's any good. You be the judge. And before we jump into this conversation with Heidi, just remember that coming up on September 20th, 2023, Alice Gab is going to be joining us live on the Nook. You just heard from her last week. She'll be giving a presentation about the radical history of banners. So if you haven't heard that conversation, it's the one right before this one. I would highly recommend you go back and check that out because you never know what kind of ideas that might spark for you. If you can join us for the Radical History of Banners, there's a free trial link in the show notes below. And if you're listening to this chat after September 20th, 2023, guess what? There's a recording so you can catch that too. Okay, on with the show. Today I'm joined again by my good friend Heidi Parks. We had so much fun last month when we got together in Milwaukee and we had so many questions from y'all. Over 30 of you gave us questions that we decided we'd have round two of free advice. So here you go. I hope you enjoy this episode of free advice with my good friend Heidi Parks. Heidi, thank you so much for joining me again. This was so much fun when we did this, what is it, a little over a week ago when I was at your place in Milwaukee. So now here we are, part two. I had such a good time recording with you and any excuse to get together online or in person, I'll say yes. And luckily, we got so many questions the first time around. Over 30 people sent us questions that there are plenty to pick from. So we have got four more questions for you today that... uh. Heidi and I want to opine on just a little bit. So Heidi, are you ready for the first question? I'm ready. Our first question comes from Patrick in Brooklyn, who has a question about how to prioritize all this quilting passion he's experiencing. Hello, friends. This is Patrick from Brooklyn, New York, and I would like some creative advice. I have been super creatively motivated lately. I've been wanting to create, create, create. Uh, but it's getting to the point where it's so many ideas. And, and, and I don't really know when to start what. Is there ever time when you have four, five, six different ideas that you are in love with? And how do you prioritize what to make next? Patrick, Heidi, I know exactly what you're talking about. More ideas and not enough times. <laughs> Heidi, how would you start an answer to Patrick there? I loved listening to this question. It took me back immediately to 2014 when I was a new quilter and I was living in Chicago and wanted to find out what does a Heidi Parks quilt look like and had so, so, so many ideas. One of the things that worked well for me is I got really curious about seeing each particular idea through to the end. So rather than if I'm thinking about each quilt being a question, rather than asking five questions at once and starting five quilts at the same time, I became a very strict monotasker. So I would choose one question and see that particular quilt through because I felt like until I had the answer to that question, I didn't know what my next prioritized question would be. And that one quilt led to the other. So for me, monotasking was really helpful with that situation. 
What comes to your mind first, Zach? <laughs> the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, when I was a little baby Virgo and I was just first started quilting, you know, 10 some years ago, I made one quilt for a friend for their baby. And I was so excited when I saw it done. I was like, oh, I have an idea for a second one. And then I did that one and then I had an idea for a third one. And it was a very neat like lineage for a while until my brain exploded in the best of all possible ways. And so now I'm more of my moon sign. I'm more the dreamy Aquarius and more ideas I know what to do with. And I would counsel somebody to start all those projects at once and just see how they speak to each other. I love smaller projects for that. Listen, we've all, it's like a rite of passage. All quilters have to make that first king size quilt. I know it doesn't feel like you're a real quilter until you made the big one. But if you can just find a way to be happy with smaller quilts, you can ask all those same questions that you were just talking about, Heidi. And you can experiment and you can find your voice on a smaller scale, crank them out faster, even if you end up putting one to the side for a minute, then picking up another and then putting it aside. What's going to happen is there's going to be cross-pollination. I would love to add, as a Sagittarius, the archer, very project-oriented, focused, that that working on one thing at a time is helpful to me. But some other things that I like to do as ideas are marinating in the back of my head, sometimes I'll create a list so that I can see all of the ideas that I'm excited about at one time. And generally what brings a quilt to the surface as the next right quilt to make is the perfect synchronization of a material I want to use, a technique I'm interested in, and a subject matter, an idea that I want to explore. And so while there are a lot of ideas all simmering around, if I just have the technique, but I don't have a good concept, or I just have a material, but I don't know yet, then that gives me that floaty feeling of so many ideas and I don't know what direction to go. But if I'm making that kind of perfect slot machine moment where everything slides in right, that can be really orienting for me. I also should admit that I still, I don't think I've ever made a king size quilt. <laughs> Most of my quilts are five feet by five feet, which does make them more manageable to finish. And I also love making tiny six inch by six inch quilts to explore ideas or just you know, play with a new idea. And those are extremely helpful also. So I love that you brought up scale. I think that's very smart to consider. Well, and I love that size that you mentioned, that that middle size, right? Because I find that maybe counterintuitively, at least to me is counterintuitive, that small should be easier to experiment with. And by small, I mean like hand-sized. Mm -hmm. But it's, it can be really challenging for me to develop an interesting composition in something so small. Like I need a certain amount of playroom to work. And that four to five feet square-ish area works really well for me. Here, here. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm reminded of something that you've said before, that one of the perks of hand sewing over machine sewing, and we love them both, but one of the perks of hand sewing is that it slows you down just enough and buys you time to think about where you want to go next. And that might be a helpful piece to the puzzle for Patrick. Yes. Yes. That the time it takes to do what you're doing is enough time to make your next decision. What I would very much counsel against is spending all day thinking about what to make and not sewing anything. That 
is, to my mind, the worst kind of way to spend a day. Keep your hands busy while you're deciding what to do. That's right. If you're not sewing, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) That reminds me of when we were teaching together on Madeline Island. (laughs) Oh, Lord. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's take a look now at our second question that comes from Kim, who has a question about time management. Hi, Zach. This is Kim. I'm in Virginia. My question is how you manage not just your work and personal life, but the many, many aspects of your quilting life as an artist, as a business owner. I just don't know how you stay focused to get one thing done because I'm also assuming you don't have a huge staff. Just how do you do it all? Good luck. Take care. I mean, Kim, sometimes I wonder how I do it all too. As do I. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely helps to have some help. Right, Heidi, I know both you and I have gotten some assistance in the last year, which has helped free us up in some ways. But what would you say to Kim here with her question on time management and getting things done? Oh, it's a big question. And it takes me back to that first time we decided to extend soft bulk beyond a one-time conversation. We brought in our friend Audrey Essery and talked about time management. And it's still... One of the top things I talk to my therapist about, so that would be a tip, is have a, have a therapist. <laughs> never a bad idea. No, never a bad idea. So I, when I'm thinking about time management, some of the things that are really helpful to me are, number one, to have a to-do list. My to-do list currently is divided into two sides, and I separate out mental jobs computer-oriented jobs and physical jobs. That could be sewing, but it could also be packing something to put in the mail or tidying up the studio or anything that's more body-focused. Sometimes that's even filming because I'm going to be moving my body to film something instead of typing and, and thinking real hard at the computer. So for me, that separation is real helpful. I also continue to use a really, really big printout of my calendar so that I can see 18 months at a time. And I've color coded when I'm traveling, when I have important applications due, and I can get that bird's eye view of my year and start to understand in advance if I'm overextending myself or if I have room in my schedule still to play. So those are some of my first thoughts. And I feel like Zach, This is a great question to be asking with you because I think our answers are going to be real different. I think it's going to be a Venn diagram. There's going to be some overlap Mm -hmm. too. But y'all, just to give you a sense of scale, having been to Heidi's place, when she talks about a really big calendar, I needed to block some sunlight in the bedroom that I was staying in. So we used that calendar to block the entire (laughs) window. That gives you a sense. (laughs) But it is helpful. It is helpful. No doubt about it. I have stumbled across in the last couple months a routine that works really, really well for me. And that is having what I call my little computer container, which is I go to the coffee shop here in my neighborhood and I order a cup of coffee and I slow sip it for two hours. And when I'm done with my coffee, I'm done with my computer work for that day. I pack up and I go back home and I do the funner stuff, the sewing stuff and the creative stuff. Now, not every day works like that. Right. But if it's if we're talking about just daily routine, that computer container is working really, really well. Plus, it gets me out of the house. Plus, I meet neighbors. Just happened today. I met somebody. Get this side note, Heidi, Mm -hmm. sitting outside of this table. It's a big table. There was one other person sitting there and he pulls out a Marley Grace book. And I'm like, (gasps) hold on a second. (laughs) I know Marley. 
let's chat. So we had a wonderful conversation. That said, I would couple my container idea with Notion. I love Notion. Emma McLean, also a quilter, first put this app on my radar maybe about a year ago. And I really have trouble envisioning my life pre-Notion. And this is not a paid endorsement. I have no affiliations <laughs> with, with the app. But what it essentially does, if I can remember life pre-Notion, <laughs> was I, I used to have all these like Google Docs, all these separate lists. I used my notepad that was native to the iPhone and stuff. And it takes all of that and puts it in one place. And it allows you to make beautiful cross-reference checklists and database tables. And so now when I sit down to do my power hour at the coffee shop, I just log into Notion and it automatically populates my task for the day. If I look towards tomorrow and I say, you know what, I got a lecture time. Let me just drag and drop that one to today. Good. Or if it's just not as pressing as I thought it was going to be, then I can drag and drop it till the next day. And that's been really helpful for me. So I would encourage anyone to check out Notion. And I think my last thought with this, Heidi, would be that I have a loose weekly schedule too that I've been doing for probably the last year that has, has been going really well for me. And that is I've kind of set a topic or a focus for each day of the week, Monday through Friday. So for me, that looks like on Monday, I do research, which is often research for a guest that might be on the Seamside podcast. Or it could be if I need to do some kind of like analytic, like website analytic kind of stuff. I might take time to look under the hood for that. Tuesday is generally my podcast day. Today is Tuesday. I am talking to Heidi. We are right on schedule. Thank you, friend. Mm -hmm. Wednesday, I sit down and plan all my Nook posts for the week, getting up the content and everything ready for each day of the week for that. Thursday, I write my weekly email to all my people, let them know what's going on. And then Friday, I reserve, and I love Friday because I try to keep Monday and Friday kind of on the lighter side, you know, work-wise. Friday is just the cleanup day. And by cleanup, I mean I clean off my desktop at the end of every week. I go through the photos and videos I've taken that week and delete any from my camera roll that I don't need. I look through my finances because I use QuickBooks to keep track of my finances. So sometimes sometimes things need to be categorized. So that's all part of Friday. And then I can start the weekend footloose and fancy free. How's that hit you, Heidi? I feel a little jealous of how organized you are. <laughs> I also, you know, to flesh things out, I like your story about bumping into someone at the cafe. I think that creating opportunities where this job doesn't feel as lonely are really important because being self-employed and not going to the office can get a little lonely on the task list as well. There's wide open expanses of space and how do you carve them up or figure things out? So I have an assistant. Her name's Kat, and she has been my friend since junior high. And I would say she started working for me in a sort of casual way around 2017, perhaps. I think that sounds right. That's around when her kiddo was born. So that tracks. And especially since her child went to kindergarten, it's been amazing to have her in a more structured way of working for six hours a week. And the support that I'm able to have from Kat is incredible for things like unifying my on-demand classes and making sure that when we learn something new, it gets updated. Kat also, in a very important way, 
advocates for my important rather than urgent goals. It can be very hard to have that inbox of people requesting that I participate in things that sound wonderful. And it's a hard truth that I just cannot say yes to everything. I can say yes to only a small portion of things that I'm invited to do at this point. And having Kat come in as the voice of reason and say, but can you get this long-term goal that's important done if you say yes to those? And like, I pay her to ask me these questions. <laughs> this is an important part of her job description. And it's it's been wonderful as I realized that maybe some of the things I used to do and I'm outgrowing them, she'll help me say no to them. The moments when my career has grown in the most important ways are the moments when I said no to certain things and cleaved off big parts of my schedule. An easy example of that is when I used to teach six yoga classes a week and I stopped doing that in 2020 and then decided not to start again after classes had been paused. And that freed me up to have a lot more time to invest just in my business. And it was one of those leaps of faith of getting rid of my last W-2 that allowed me to get a lot more done when I was scheduling my day. But having an assistant helps me a lot. And being rigorous about checking in about what do I want to keep saying yes to and not assuming I automatically want to do the same thing I did last year has been key for me. I would echo so much of that with the person that I've been working with, Shan Reimer on The Nook. We've been working together for about a year and Shan has helped me more than, similar to what it sounds like you and Kat, more than just freeing me up because I'm like offloading, I'm doing air quotes here, because I'm mm -hmm. offloading tasks to somebody else. Shan helps me think critically about what's worth doing mm -hmm. and having someone who's in the weeds with you, like Kat, like Shan, yes. really is helpful. And so Shan and I check in, I mean, almost every day via text Ooh. and Notion, shout out, mm -hmm. but we have a monthly meeting that we set aside where we spend a couple hours together just really making sure that the nook ship is is on track, looking down the road together. And it's just really, really sweet to have somebody to check in like that with. Oh, and that's a lovely point that I meet with Kat on Zoom for three hours every Thursday, and then she does three hours of work independent of me throughout the rest of the week. And that's our check-in system. And having Thursdays as that sacred structured day also allows me to know my Thursday schedule and I'll stack other meetings on Thursdays as well. And that allows me to have days like Wednesday and Tuesday to have less appointments or ideally no appointments in them. And getting all the meetings done in one go is very, I'm, I'm a monotasker. So stacking the meetings is real helpful. And I do a lot of sewing when I'm in meetings and discussing things. And that is one of the things I love about handwork is that I can be productive and in a four and a half hour meeting planning a trip to Japan. See, that's another difference between you and me, Heidi, <laughs> is you're a stacker. I'm a spreader. The minute I get one meeting, one meeting on my calendar, I will go ahead and block out the rest of the day because I have a calendar appointment sign up kind of thing, similar to Calendly. And I'm like, I already got one meeting. That's enough. And so then I'm just like, <laughs> block out the rest of the day. So, you know, find your flow, Kim, mm -hmm. find your flow, whatever works for you. All right. Our third question comes from Jean in Washington, D.C., who has a question about small space. Hey, my name is Jean. I used to live in a house with a very large crafting room. 
I've since moved into a very small space and embarked upon a career where I'll be traveling for most of the rest of my working life. So I'm thinking about how to continue my quilting practice when I'm in spaces that are not necessarily of my own choosing, spaces that are smaller than I consider ideal, and where I'm kind of constantly moving and so worried about storage and transporting all my materials and things like that. I'm, I'm really thinking about how to turn this transitory nature of my upcoming existence into an advantage rather than a disadvantage. So any advice, suggestions would be welcomed. Thanks so much. Bye. Yes, I love the way that you phrased this question into turning it into an advantage. That is 100% what I would get at. I would say that, in fact, this is a great answer to Patrick's question. When you have so many ideas and the problem is how do you limit them? How do you decide what actually gets made? Looking at your circumstances can be an incredible answer to that question. I get especially excited about making travel quilts because I'm thinking about the space in my suitcase, the elbow room that I won't have when I'm sitting on an airplane, the ability that I do and don't have to get things to lay flat. And for me, that is an amazing mother of invention. And finding ways as well to work quickly and efficiently without a sewing machine because I found several years ago that my low back would hurt when I was at the sewing machine for hours and hours. That prioritization of handwork made me play and figure out with how can I do it efficiently? How can it not take forever? So seeing this as an opportunity to be curious and as a, a funnel for your work, if there's a more limited amount of things that you can do with a smaller space then thank goodness you have less decision fatigue. And then you're making projects that are all double as scrapbooks. You're looking at these travel quilts that you've made and you're remembering the people that gave you the fabric or you're remembering the place where you found the fabric or the item, whatever it may be that you're sewing down. And so you're just pulling double duty. It goes back to me too for the idea of smaller projects. You can really pack a lot of meaning and significance into a smaller project. And one of the things I do... I think on a practical level, because I did just recently fly from Milwaukee back to New York after visiting Heidi. And when I was on the plane, I had a whole separate sewing kit. Like I really thought intentionally about what exactly will I need for these three hours. And instead of bringing my sewing kit, I just had a Ziploc bag with snippers instead of scissors. And I had just the threads I would need and just the needles I would need. And, and staying really lean like that helps because it also makes me think of all the times I've sewn on the subway here in New York. And my number one trick, people are like, how you do it? My number one trick is you just have a big floppy bag, you know, like a reusable shopping bag, put the bag in your lap and leave everything in the bag. So the bag's just sitting open in your lap. So as you're sewing and you're snipping and you're doing this and you're doing that, if you suddenly get to your stop, you just pick up the handles of your bag and you don't have to worry about scrambling to pick things up. So that might help if you find yourself commuting quite a bit in your near future. Another thought that I have about this is the advantage of prepping things when you're at home so that you have a go bag or things that are set up. When I made 
a quilt called Places Unfold. It was 2014. I think it was the fifth quilt I ever made. And I stood, it was a block quilt intentionally because I was able to prep one, two, maybe three blocks at home. And then I could take those blocks with me to school and I didn't have to do any of the thinking about what would be on that block. I could just do the physical work of sewing things down. I think sometimes looking at the composition or deciding what's next can be just a different activity that I'm a little bit less nimble with. And that kind of front work is helpful. It's also a great advantage to working with a block. My friend Sarah Nishiura in Chicago has spoken really, really eloquently about block quilts and how that's something that people made back in the day because they didn't have craft rooms in their homes. They had one room cabins and they needed to make a quilt. And there's a predictability to that that you make all these six inch blocks and all year long you're making them. And then you have a moment where you can start sewing them into groups of four and then another group of four out of those. And that that allows you to be very thoughtful about using a small space. And there's just a real historical beauty to working with blocks for that reason. And a twist on the block. Y'all, I wish you could have seen this moment. A couple of weeks ago in Milwaukee, Heidi and I had to go out to, she's going to be on some big, fancy panel discussion, you know, and we were working on this collaborative quilt and she wanted something small to work on while we were watching the movie before the panel discussion. And so we talked about it for a moment. She's like, oh, this little piece of embroidery that I could do right here would be great. Problem was the fabric she wanted to sew in was already sewn down onto the quilt top we were working on. So she just grabs a pair of scissors and hacks it off the rest (laughs) of the quilt to take it with her. So I give you that same permission. Pull a Heidi, cut off the corner of a quilt, take it with you. You can always sew it back on. Oh, thank you, Zach. (laughs) Our last question for you comes from Carol in New York as a question about their stash. Hi, Zach. It's Carol calling from New York. My question is, how do I responsibly deal with my stash? I'm overwhelmed by it. I can't throw any of it away because I feel so guilty. I can't give away the smaller scraps. I've seen so many ideas for how to use them in clever ways, but there's no way I'll ever be able to use all of it. So any suggestions would be really gratefully received. Thank you. Well, Heidi, my approach was to petition the city of New York to give me a textile recycling bin in the basement of our building. So if I have any scraps (laughs) I really can't use, I can toss it in there and they'll recycle it. I realize not everybody has such a luxury. So what comes to your mind when you hear Carol's question? I'm reminded in part of the wise words of my friend Tara Fonin who says, sometimes you just need to throw things out. And and it can be easy to go all the way down the sustainable quilting rabbit hole, which we're excited about sustainable quilting and sewing. But at a certain point, when your home starts to become a landfill, there, there is a necessity, I think, to throw some things away or put them in the compost pile or give them to goodwill. One of my favorite outlets is the Wisconsin Museum of Quilts and Fiber Art. The reason why you came to Milwaukee, Wisconsin recently was to be able to attend their annual rummage. And that's an awesome resource. There are a lot of similar things like that. If you're in a quilt guild, I know most 
guilds have share tables where you bring something and you take something. So dropping things off that way, even if you're not a part of a quilt guild, if you contact them and say, I have these types of things, could I drop them off and allow you to use use my supplies and dispose of whatever in the way that you need to if nobody takes it? That's another great option because it's more likely that it will get to the hands of someone who will use it than if you just drop it off at a Goodwill equivalent. Yeah. And I think there's something really interesting too about how guilt can sneak into the situation. It's something I know that Catherine Greenwood Swanson thinks a lot about because Catherine runs a reuse store for fabric in Western Massachusetts. And she'll remind people that you, you, She'll remind people that it's not necessarily like we're accumulating a bunch of fabric and don't know what to do with it, but that we're stewarding fabric, right? That our elders in our community have been stewarding this fabric for us, but we do need to pass it along, right? And in, it's in the passing it along that we can also address some of those the guilty feelings that might sneak up. I think of a couple other ways to do that. If you have a quilt guild, like Heidi said, I think that's great. A couple other ways. I would not be the only person who have bought a bag of scraps from eBay. Like I love a random bag of scraps. Like you don't get any choice about it. It's just like a one pound bag of scraps or a five pound bag of scraps. That's one option. On the Quilty Nook, we have a room called the Community Closet and folks can post things that they're willing to mail off for free. You know, so that's another option. And on the Nook, we're also doing a fabric swap all via mail. And we decided the only parameter was going to be that it was less than one ounce and could fit in a letter size envelope because then you could just use one stamp and mail fabric. So we got people mailing stuff all over the place. It is an issue that we got to figure out what to do because as quilters, as makers, we look at materials and we get so excited about the potential that we see in each one of them. But as I have been wisely reminded, potential is not a reason to keep anything. Because as makers, we're crafty, we're clever. We can always come up with some potential use for this material. So if that's our rubric, we'd never get rid of anything. So a better rubric might be, can I reasonably see myself using this in my next five projects, six projects, or the next six months, the next year? But it has to be the likelihood of it being used, not just the fact that one could use it that would make me keep it. Zach, I love that suggestion. I read a lot of decluttering books about a year ago because my house was just getting to have too many things in it. One of the books was called The Clutter Connection, and there's four different kinds of clutter bugs that you might be. I'm the bumblebee. And the common pitfall of the bumblebee is that we see potential in everything. So you might have a cracked jar. And you think, oh, well, I could hot glue buttons all all around the edge of the jar and then it could have a use and it could be saved. And yes, we're very creative. You could do so many things. But to your point, if it's not one of the five next things you're excited about doing, then maybe it's time to edit to let that idea go to someone else or that object go to someone else. I think it connects as well with Jean's question about space. There's just not enough space. I think about where you sew in your kitchen and you can't keep everything. 
it's a blessing and a curse because mm-hmm. I, I got to constantly purge. I have to constantly make decisions about what stays and what goes because, folks, I'm running out of floor space. I don't have much to start with. Well, and, you know, that reminds me, your small space gives you permission to let go of and part with things, but you don't have to have a small space in order to give yourself permission to part with the things that aren't serving you anymore. You can just choose that you have permission and then you can lean things down and part with stuff. Because the ultimate solution to this stuff problem that we have, I hate to say it, maybe this is a hot take, Heidi. Mm -hmm. The ultimate solution is not me deciding what to do with my little tiny scraps in Brooklyn, New York. The solution that has to happen is we just need to stop making so much stuff. And that requires global coordination with giant international corporations. And so (laughs) that's outside the purview of this conversation on this podcast. So Carol, if that helps give you a little breathing room, just realize you're not a multinational corporation. You know, you're not going to (laughs) be the answer or the problem in and of yourself. So I hope that helps bring you a little bit of relief. I would add to that thought too, that having beautiful fabric to make quilts with is really special. And if there are fabrics that are well-made and they're paying the designers, that it's great to invest in those because we do want to have great quality fabrics. We don't necessarily want to go back to the situation we had decades ago where there was only country calico and not a lot of fabric options. And there are resources like Feel Good Fibers from our friend Kim Sopper, where you, if you have something really special that you bought that is yardage, but it's just not your personality anymore, you can sell it there. And if you're looking to buy things that are special and designed, you can buy them there. And that that's a really important part of our ecosystem as quilters too. It's wonderful to make things with clothing that's been discarded from goodwill. But that's, again, part of the fast fashion problem. And quilting can be part of the solution to that. But to Zach's point, that's also a corporation problem that we as quilters don't have to exclusively have the burden of solving and that we can on occasion use really special fabrics and support really talented designers as well. I think that's a beautiful place to leave it. What do you say, Heidi? Thank you, Carol. Thank you to everybody who asked questions. And Zach, what a pleasure it was to get to answer four more questions with you on a Tuesday. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Now, Heidi, I want to go show you this quilt I got on my wall. You got a minute? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see y'all next time. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now, if there's somebody you'd like to recommend to be a guest on this show, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at Zach at ZachFoster.com. Just remember Zach is spelled Z-A-K. And why? I don't know. You have to ask my mama. I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, take care, sew something good, and I hope to see you around the nook.